Hi, and welcome to the podcast. Uh, my name is Father Bill W. I am an alcoholic uh, in long-term recovery, a member of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, had the gift of sobriety since December 27th, 1972. And um, we're starting a new series. I'm, I'm kind of excited about it. This one uh, is kind of going back to the, uh, the spiritual roots of our 12-step programs. Um, I want to get into... Uh, some Oxford group material, some stuff that uh, was there in the original and perhaps uh, has gotten lost uh, along the way. So uh, I think you'll find it exciting. I'm really looking forward to doing it. The first episode is going to center on uh, a concept that was important to the Oxford group people and was finding God's plan for our lives. Uh, This was really central to, to their belief system and it's kind of easy to skip over and and miss it entirely. Uh, and I want to use a book uh, to go through some of these points, and it's called The Eight Points of the Oxford Group. Now, the Oxford Group really didn't have eight points. They didn't have a series of steps. Uh, sometimes you get the mistaken uh, information that there were six steps in the program uh, uh, or four steps, or ten, whatever it might be, but it's not true. There, there really were no steps. They never wrote their program down formally. <clears throat> Bill Wilson did that. He took the Oxford Group program as he understood it and distilled it down into 12 steps. And interestingly, he did that during a two-way prayer session uh, where he asked God for guidance, and then that guidance came to him And that's how we got our 12-step program. Now, having the steps is, I think, uh, both a blessing and a curse. Uh, It's a blessing in the sense that uh, it gives us a a way forward, a way through uh, their program. Um, You know, if you kind of think of uh, Henry Ford, he he created the, the assembly line. They were building cars Uh, before Henry Ford came along, but they were building them one by one. And and Ford came up with the idea of an assembly line. And I think that's typically American. And it's typical that Wilson would take the the program that he found in the Oxford group and try to codify it, try to put it in a set of, uh, of, of steps that people could follow and therefore work their way through it. And that's a blessing. No question about it. The Oxford Group uh, uh, is is uh, is no longer with us, uh, pretty much. Um, but the steps are, and and the program is. So that that's the blessing that it it codifies things, gives you a way to uh, work through your spiritual process, and that's uh, that's it's it's just wonderful, right? No no question about it. But there is a curse side to it, and for me, that is that that the steps can become mechanical. And so I go through the steps, and then there's a temptation. Well, I'm, I, I still need to go through them again. I need to go through them once a year. And I hear all sorts of things. I hear some uh, speakers talk about, uh, you know, taking the steps, and it's, it's like a billiards game. You know, six hit, hits off of nine, nine comes back to three. It becomes very mechanical. And I think there's a danger of losing the message 
the deeper message that um, that the program is there to provide. So anyway, uh, the eight points of the Oxford Group were written by a man by the name of C. Irving Benson. He was an Australian Methodist minister who was changed by the Oxford Group. Uh, a team of Oxford Group people came down to Australia in the early 1930s. He thought he was doing pretty good, like most of us, uh, and uh, they kind of called his attention to uh, a number of things in his life that he had not surrendered. He needed a deeper surrender process, and they challenged him to do that. And for me, that that really is the spiritual journey. Uh, that It's something you never get through, you never finish. It's always an ongoing uh, process, and is always the ability uh, to go deeper. That, that's the way the program was described to me. It's not just about staying sober, uh, though imp- that is important, but it's starting a, a real inner journey uh, to discover ourselves and who we are and um, and what, what life is about. Anyway, uh, the book is available. You can get it on uh, Amazon for about 18 bucks. But, uh, you know, it's also free to be downloaded. So if you will uh, Google eight points of the Oxford group, PDF, uh, it should come right up for you. And um, it's not necessary to uh, have the book to follow along with the, this podcast series, but might be helpful, might uh, prod you to get some of the information that uh, we're not going to be able to cover. So I'm not going to go through the, the, the each chapter. Uh, he's got eight chapters devoted to each one of the points he wants to uh, reference. Um, but I am going to try to take three or four major points out of each particular chapter. Uh, so Benson, his first chapter is titled, God has a plan for every life. And Benson's first point is, uh, is basically this, that God has a plan for the world, but God's plan will only come about through you. So you and I are each a part of that plan. And if we do uh, the part that God has assigned to us, then God's plan inches forward. If we don't do it, uh, God's plan slides back. And now when I worked in treatment centers as a therapist, I I used to tell my patients, you know, this place isn't going to be the same now that you're here. It will either be a better place or it will be a worse place, but it cannot be the same place. And I think the same is true with our lives. Whether we get the program in in its depths or not is going to make a difference. And it's going to make a difference not only to us, but to many people who are kind of counting on us to get it. It's going to make a difference in their lives as well. So uh, I think this is a really important point. Frankel uh, makes the point, Viktor Frankl, he was a, um, a Jewish psychiatrist, uh, wrote a book that was very meaningful to me in my early sobriety. It was called Man's Search for Meaning. And that's what I think uh, uh, Benson is trying to get to in this, in this plan business, that if we understand the plan, then we're going to have an increased um, amount of meaning and purpose in our lives. 
And Frankel was convinced that um, uh, people had to find meaning and purpose. And one of the reasons I like Frankel so much is because uh, there's no BS with him. I mean, he, he, he didn't uh, earn his stripes uh, at Harvard or Yale or, or in a laboratory. He got them in a concentration camp. He, he was a Jew. He was sentenced to a concentration camp, lost most of his family uh, in that camp. They died. Uh, but somehow he was able to survive. And one of the reasons he survived, and this is, uh, this is important, is that he found meaning and purpose even there in a concentration camp. And if you can find it there, then I think you can find it anywhere. So he would watch people and he would, he would see that <coughs> they could go without food, they could go without water, but they couldn't go very far or last very long if they lost the meaning and purpose uh, to their lives. They had to find that. He could see it in their eyes when, the, when they lost it. He'd encourage people to give up the food, give up the, um, you know, the water. If, if, if you ha shave, shave so that you look presentable. I mean, don't lose your human dignity. That, that, that was the message that, that he, um, he learned and he conveyed throughout the rest of his life. He was a student of Nietzsche. And Nietzsche said something really, really brilliant. He said this, he who has a why to live can bear almost any how. He who has a, a why to live for can bear almost any how. In other words, no matter how bad it gets, if you have meaning and purpose in your life, in your sobriety, in your recovery, Things can get pretty tough, but they're, they're not going to knock you down. And that's, I think, a tremendously important person, excuse me, a lesson, uh, particularly for a new person who's coming into the program. I mean, most of us, when, when we first come in, we've lost our meaning and purpose in life. And addiction has, has a, a way of really doing that to us, of sucking out all of the meaning and purpose that maybe we had at one time. So there we are, we're, we're lost, we're adrift. And in addition to that, most of us have very low self-worth. Uh, am I even worth doing this for? But you know, even in spite of that, I, I find addicts and alcoholics are, are wishing to be helpful for other people, you know? And, and that's something that you can kind of plug into here. Um, so what they believed, going back to the Oxford group, what they believed, was that we can be helpful to God, that God needs us for his plan. Um, and, and, and we may not think that, that we have much to work with, but God obviously thinks we have a lot to work with. And, uh, and, and um, it makes a difference to the human race. I mean, it, it really matters. Uh, I remember in early sobriety, I, I went to an AA meeting and I came back and told my sponsor, uh, it wasn't a very good meeting, I thought. And I said, man, that was a lousy meeting I went to. And he said, oh, yeah? What did you contribute? Kind of kind of stopped me short. See, I was going there to judge. Uh, uh, my ego was very much in charge. I was there to be entertained. It wasn't so much a question of what did I have uh, 
uh, to contribute. It was what were they going to do to entertain me, uh, to make it a meaningful meeting for me. Um, Frankel wrote this. He said, ultimately, man should not ask, what is the meaning of life? I used to get drunk in the bars and ask that one all the time. Uh, you know, a barroom philosopher, what is the meaning of life? He said, don't ask that question. You can't answer that question. That's a mystery. What you can answer is this question. What is the meaning of my life? What is the meaning of my life? And that's a very, very different question, you see. Um, and it's kind of the, well, I think the way AA has, uh, has kept that alive is this expression, living life on life's terms. You know, not on my terms. What is life asking of me rather than what am I demanding or asking of life? Uh, Wilson said, uh, we need to be responsible. Uh, his therapist, um, Harry Tebow, looked on addiction as staying immature, staying in the cradle, not growing up, being, uh, being irresponsible. I mean, that's what kids are. And uh, you can meet people who are 30, 40, 50 years old in recovery, and they still haven't learned the responsibility lesson. Be responsible. Um, I'm responsible to not drink today. I'm responsible to not eat compulsively today. For this, I am responsible. When someone reaches out for help, Wilson said, I want the hand of AA always to be there. And for that, I am responsible. So this responsibility plays a, a, a key role in, uh, in finding what God's plan is for my life. Benson goes on, he writes, God has a plan for our lives, and the real adventure of being alive is to achieve it. And I have a friend who uh, isn't in recovery, but he says we really shouldn't call this 12-step journey recovery. We should call it discovery. Uh, because it's an adventure, and it's it's really I believe it's living out the 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 hero's journey. You know, the, throughout literature, uh, the the hero's journey is a part of every culture. It's when uh, an individual uh, goes down uh, and suffers, goes to hell literally, and then comes back changed. Well, I think that's the story of 12-step recovery, that, that we suffered, and we should really benefit from that suffering. Um, one Jungian therapist talks about boiling in the oil of transformation. I really like that expression because, uh, I mean, I'm sure you're like my, myself. Uh, we boiled for any number of years. We got out of the pot and... Um, and we say, okay, I'm ready to grow. I'm ready to change. I'm ready to live life on life's terms. I'm ready to be responsible. I'm ready to find out what God's plan is for me because uh, I've really messed this thing up. But then the, the Jungian uh, psychologist says, and sometimes we're sent back into the pot for further boiling in the oil of transformation. And so um, I don't think it's a, boy, I stepped out of the pot in... Uh, 1990 or 87 or whenever the heck it might have been, and now I'm just golden. No, the journey is to, is to experience where further change 
needs to happen. And that's how we really grow psychologically and spiritually. So um, how do we find this, this new adventure? Well, Benson says it's really only through the act of surrender. And this becomes his second point. And he writes this. Surrender is not something to be done once and for all, but a process to be sustained. It must be continuously deepened. Every new day must be surrendered to God. Anything consciously kept back mars everything. All that is in self, good, bad, and indifferent, must be handed over to God. He will then give back whatever is fit for us to use. See, there's two surrenders. Uh, I learned this when I started studying the Oxford group, um, and it made sense in the steps. Uh, there was that initial surrender that we do in step three, where uh, we turn to God and, and pray, God, if, you, if you're there, if you exist, I really need help. And we do that in the company of another person. But then after a while, there, there comes a deeper surrender that is necessary. And this is the surrender that we find in, in step seven. Uh, we boil in, <laughs> in the pot in step six, becoming entirely ready, hey? Uh, and then in seven, uh, we do that deeper surrender. Um, and this, is, this, is, um, this becomes uh, Benson's third point, that uh, if we live by God's standards, uh, and find doing his will um, uh, the focus of our life, then that surrender really, really deepens. Uh, Wilson did not like using the word sin. Uh, you don't really find it. Well, you do find it occasionally, but it, it's not a big uh, big deal in, in, the, in the big book. He knew alcoholics were not, we we're going to be frightened away by that word. You know, we've been, we've been preached to and it doesn't do uh, any good. So he, he uses shortcomings, um, um, words like that, that uh, uh, defects of character. But the Oxford group word was sin. And, um, and they defined sin as anything that separates us from God, anything that separates us from one another, anything that separates us from our true selves, from the person we were created to be. Um, you know, uh, some of you might be old enough to remember the army had, had a slogan, be all that you can be. Um, and that's, that's really what God's plan is for us, not to join the army, <laughs> but, but to become all that we can be. And anything less than that is, is sad. Uh, it's, it's, it's not complete fulfillment of who we are. And that's an ongoing thing. You know, I'm sober going on 47 years. There are parts of me that still have not come into being, that there's still work that needs to happen in me, uh, where my ego needs to surrender <coughs> more and more of itself to come into alignment with God's will. When, uh, um, 
I'm still, in, you know, I go to an AA meeting. I'll drop the f bomb before I drop the uh, the s the s word. But but sin, uh, they used to write it with a small s, a capital I, and then a small n, if you can imagine that. So that so that what they were saying was, it is the I, it is the it is the unsurrendered ego in my life the egotism, the egocentricity, the self-centeredness that really is keeping me from life. And that's what we need to find out. I'm not out to make everybody, you know, goody-goody. Because uh, I say, you know, take the good and the bad. That's what we're given, God. And I got to look at that bad. I got to look at that stuff that's in me. And in one sense, uh, that's the stuff that's going to save me. Because, because there's, therein is the material that I need to use in my daily life, the unsurrendered stuff. And so I keep coming back to it. And in many cases, I keep failing at it. And that's okay. See, that's okay. Uh, it's not to become perfect. It is to aim for perfection. Um, and and there, there's a real big difference in that. So the Oxford group uh, people had a saying uh, that, that they uh, they said interesting sinners make interesting saints. Uh, you know, a guy who's who's pretty good and just becomes a little bit better isn't very interesting. Uh, but those of us who are really out there screwing up and get our lives turned around, well. Life takes a giant uh, leap forward <laughs> in our cases, huh? that we really are changed. And that change uh, makes for an interesting story. Um, you know, in, uh, tw in our 12-step meetings, when, when, we, when we tell our story, you know, it's how it was. Um, and unfortunately, too many people uh, get stuck on the how it was and it becomes a drunkalog. And they go through a a uh, 60 minute talk and 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 59 minutes or how it was well i'm not too interested in that uh i'm interested in what happened and what it's like now and and that becomes a, an interesting story um because we we're we're all still undergoing the process of change so um there's more uh, in Benson's chapter on God's plan for our lives. Uh, but if we can take away three points, I think we'll be off to a pretty good start with this series. And the first point, just to review, is that God has a plan for every life. And he reveals that plan to us daily through our two-way prayer. So two-way prayer was really essential uh, to people in Oxford Group and in early AA. They said it was more important than meetings, that time alone with God, that time when they took their own inventory, when they looked at themselves deeply, saw where the change needed to continue, and asked for God's help in their life. That's what makes for a, a dynamic recovery process that can keep it interesting uh, for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. If it's just about not drinking, it's going to get pretty dull after a while. Um, so that's six and seven material is, um, I think that's the stuff of life. Um, and, and that's where we're going to learn is through our failures. Jung said uh, success after midlife 
has nothing to teach a man. It's our failures that are going to teach us. So as we come to God each day, uh, not having achieved maybe what we set out to do, fully doing his will, uh, those are the areas wherein he will then uh, still be able to work in our lives. So that's point number one, uh, that he reveals his plan to us on a daily basis. Uh, point two is it, it makes a huge difference to a whole lot of people whether or not we respond to his plan. His plan. See, it's not just his plan for us. It is that we grow in responsibility for carrying the message, relying on him for his strength and his help, but then carrying his message to the people that we are then ready to help uh, to change. I mean, Frank Bookman, the founder of the Oxford Group, was interested in changing the world. But the only way you're going to change the world is one life at a time. There simply is no other way. There's not a system that's going to do it. There's not 12 steps uh, that are going to change the world. There's one individual going through the 12 steps who's going to get changed. And then he or she is responsible for carrying out God's plan for the world as it is revealed in their lives. Okay? Uh, and it may not look very big, but it's really super, super important that I'm making that uh, that change in, in my own life. And the third point is we need to watch out for the, uh, the stuff uh, besides addiction, the ism stuff, uh, the step six and seven stuff, as we would call it, the stuff that gets in the way of being fully surrendered. And that's, what, again, one of the blessings and the curses of, <clears throat> of most 12-step programs. It's the singleness of purpose. And it's a blessing in that uh, the singleness is, uh, is to help alcoholics uh, or to help eating disordered people. Uh, it's, it's focused singularly, not to help everybody, uh, at least not, uh, that's not where, where the main emphasis is, is, uh, is directed. But that six and seven stuff, see, those are the forgotten steps. And those are learning how to live by the, the four absolutes, the principles that Dr. Bob said he stayed with all of his life. Absolute honesty, absolute purity, absolute unselfishness, absolute love. Those are the guiding principles that really lead to a changed life. And, um, and that's the, the areas that we need to continuously work on. So anyway, uh, I think there's some good material in Benson's book. You can get a little bit preachy, and, and maybe I can too, so I better watch out for that. I'm not here to preach. I'm here to give you some information that I'm, I'm hoping is going to be helpful to you in going deeper into your own 12-step program. So uh, if this material is helpful, um, I'd encourage you to share it with some friends, to let them know about the podcast. Send them to the website called uh, twowayprayer.org, and um, it'll teach you how to do uh, the two-way prayer process, because that's I think the major thing that got left behind and that we really need to retrieve. I'm um, doing workshops uh, now pretty heavily, and I just love watching people come alive when they get this information, when they hear God talking to them through their own minds, uh, in their own handwriting. Uh, there's, just, there's just nothing like it. So the, make, that, make that part of, your, part of your program if you haven't done so already. The next episode we're going to do uh, is going to be on sharing 
how the Oxford Group people appro approach sharing, how important it is, and, um, and, and what role it plays in the recovery process. So thank you for listening. I hope this information has been helpful. God bless and keep coming back.